Today, we are in part two of our two-part Proverbs series. This is really probably like the first time. Uh, if you have been in SIBKL, I can quite assure you this is the first time uh, you've sat in a Proverbs series because I, I, I've been tracking uh, our our, our pulpit series uh, uh, since forever, right? Um, and, I, and I'm very sure we've never done a, a, a series on the book of Proverbs. And I won't even call it a series proper. It's almost like just getting your feet wet, you know, uh, with the book of Proverbs. Uh, as Athalia joked uh, earlier, if you were in early, you know, a two-part proverb series is a bit like a proverb in itself with two lines right with two lines the first line introduces you to the point the second line is the punchline, and that's it right and then like a vapor it disappears right and so so this year i really wanted every one of us um, to get at least our feet wet in the proverbs Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, right? And so, um, uh, because I really believe that these give voice um, for us to pray, it gives voice for us to make decisions and learn wisdom, to learn discernment um, of the things of God. Um, discernment should not be a weird, spooky, spiritual thing, you know. Discernment has to be anchored in the character of God. And it's in the Proverbs that we see the wisdom of God really shining through. And so, I want to do a quick recap of Proverbs from last week, right? Proverbs are not laws, they are not prophecy, and they are not promises, right? But they are general advice, okay? So they are not formulaic in the sense that if you do it this way, how come tak jadi, huh? how come, you know, uh, this? it's a general advice given by, for most of the Proverbs, given by a father to his children. Okay, um, that's the original context, but of course, it is given to us by the fathers of our faith, to us, the next generation and the following generation for good living, right? Um, it generally proves true. It ultimately, some of them ultimately prove true. And this is the heart of people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, okay? Um, and so, uh, if you look at the next slide, you know, uh, Proverbs is divided into one opening chunk, which is an opening treatise on wisdom. We looked at that last, last week. And then the whole uh, uh, middle to end are the Proverbs of Solomon. Okay, and then it just ends with one chapter of Proverbs by King Agur and then one final chapter on the Proverbs by King Lemuel. Now today we're going to be looking at the majority of the chunk in white, okay, and the Proverbs of Solomon. Now Solomon uh, composed many, many, many thousands um, of Proverbs and then a quite a few hundred uh, have been compiled inside here. If you read through, you will see repeats here and there because, you know, he keeps saying similar things in slightly different different ways. Now, the thing is that a lot of the Proverbs are laid out in couplets. So you have one line saying something, the next line either elaborating on it or saying something like it, you know, but together they are saying one thing, okay? So that's how most of Solomon's Proverbs are laid out. Now let's look at this. All the Proverbs um, are there to give us wisdom. It's supposed to help us be wise. Now the thing about wisdom is that we usually think about wisdom and we turn to the Bible for wisdom when we want to make 
snapshot decisions, right? How many of you, you felt like you were in a very precise decision-making point, like you're trying to change jobs, you're trying to decide whether to make this important purchase, whether you want to invest in this way, whether you want to migrate, and then you're like, oh, I need wisdom, I need some, some, some light bulb from heaven, you know? And so you quickly turn to your Bible and turn to the book of Proverbs, hoping to find, you know, a, a light bulb moment. Now, here's the thing. We approach the Bible, and sometimes we approach specifically the book of Proverbs in a very problem-solving way, right? We expect wisdom to be a sudden burst of like, wow, so clever, what a brilliant kind of like sudden burst of, of creativity or idea or insight, right? And we think about wisdom like we think about microwaving our food. Okay, we, we, we think that it should be this sudden boom and then wow, kau tim ready, it's suddenly cooked, you know. But when you look into the Proverbs, you realize that most of the Proverbs that Solomon gave his sons, his children, are not really quick fixes. Like the things that he tells people about, like you want to apply it right on the spot, actually you can't. A lot of it does not pertain to very specific situational help. But what it does give is a life skill, a way to order how you live so that you generally are pointing in the right direction. And it gives you general basic uh, um, um, good living uh, um, principles or maybe it's more than principles, it's a good living values for how to order yourself. And when you are ordered in those directions, your options are fewer because you are already pointing in the general right direction. And that's what I've learned. One thing I've learned from the book of Proverbs is that it's not. You don't, if you turn to it for a quick sudden burst of inspiration, you know what? It may not always pay off. But you know what? Turn to the Proverbs for daily wisdom and orientation. And over a, 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 a life of, of accruing much little nuggets of, of, of wisdom, God points you in the direction of life, right? Um, so, so the wisdom here, it's not just intelligence. You can Google anything up. You can wiki any fact up these days. But wisdom here speaks of God's moral goodness and it's contrasted against folly you know and i always say when you look into proverbs you got to see jesus now here's something new for you on the next slide right um a few tips on reading the proverbs i go dipped a little bit into this last week but i want to spend a bit more time on this today sit in one proverb at a time okay sit in one proverb at a time now i know some of you you read one chapter of proverbs a day and you clear that in a month 31 chapters of proverbs in a month now that's okay but i'm sure if that's your habit and that's your practice if i've done that before one proverb will pop right it will kind of like sift up to the surface and then you spend more time thinking about that now i tell you why it's going to be very hard to hold and to do real quality work with more than one proverb at a time Okay, unless they are parallel proverbs and you're looking at like several proverbs all doing the same thing. Of course, that would be an exceptional situation. But by and large, sit in one proverb at a time. And part of this is my Bible reading tip for you. Don't read proverbs to clear Bible reading. 
You want a clear Bible, you want to read much words to clear Bible reading, read the narratives, right? Go pick up 1 Kings, go pick up 2 Kings, right? Or, or 1 and 2 Chronicles, where you see entire big sweeps of, of, of history. And when you see it from a, from, from a bird's eye view, you see like, wow, this 20 kings of Judah and Israel. And then you see a big pattern. Now, when you read the narratives, you want to read big chunks, big sweeps to clear your Bible reading, go for those. But when you're reading Proverbs, really you get nothing if you're just trying to, oh, today I'm supposed to read three chapters. So let me read three chapters of Proverbs. You know, and bang, bang, you're like literally ingesting some 90, 100 Proverbs at one time. There's no way you can do any quality devotion when you're reading 90 different ideas. So sit in one proverb at a time and then spend time pressing into the proverb. And what do I mean when I say pressing into the proverb? Don't just stop at face value. Many of the proverbs will give you almost like a face value conclusion, almost oversimplistic. And then you just like, oh, okay, lo. and then you walk away. Don't, don't. Keep asking questions. Ask the proverb questions. Test it. Are you true? Are you true all the time? Are you true only some of the time? Sometimes when you don't seem to be true, is it because other factors uh, um, outside of this proverb make it not true? Or is it because this proverb wasn't meant to be, to, to be absolutely true every single time? But is it meant to be a general thing? You know, ask all kinds of questions. That, and, then, and then ask, is it, is, how, how does it work? Do I see it in real life? Which is the next point. Do I see real people like this? Have I, do I, have, have I seen it in myself? You know, why, why is this important to God? Why is this value? Why is this proverb something so important to God that he would choose it among all the billions of things he would say? He chose about 800 proverbs and gave it to us in this book of Proverbs. Why is this important to God? And when we start pressing into the proverbs, we see that stuff starts to come out of it and you will start i guarantee you my friends when you start to spend time in one proverb you realize that it has layers to it that you did not see before i'm going to do a quick demo for you a quick demo let's have a look the random proverb that i literally was just browsing through for the for, for the demo i was like just like flip flip flake look, 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 look. okay let's, this one. let's just take it let's try okay so uh broadcast let's look at the next slide you know because Proverbs 14 verse 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Now, I'll be honest, quite a few of the, of, of the Proverbs, when you see something like this, you just kind of go, the simple believes everything, the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Okay, lor? Okay, lor? Yeah? <laughs> you know, it's like, what more am I supposed to learn from this? You know, it's kind of obvious, right? Like, like by the way, simple here means naive. Simple here doesn't mean minimalistic or, or, or simplified, you know? It, it means those who, who are naive, you know, and, and are un, unexposed um, to the real world, right? Oh, okay, lor? You know, or a bit of a, as I said last week, a bit of an Abu Dhan version, right? Like, of course, lah, right? Of course, you know, uh, prudent people will give thoughts to their step. Okay, okay, then you move on. Hey, but no, press it a little bit, okay? Why? How do you press this, this, this proverb, you know? Um, this proverb. The simple believe everything, right? Simple, do simple people really believe, do naive people believe everything? 
they, maybe they don't believe everything, or maybe they do, right? Um, then you start thinking like, actually, uh, um, where have I seen people who believe anything? Uh? And then I remember there are some people, if they receive uh, a WhatsApp forward saying that, oh, um, uh, uh, Russia is bad. And they'll be like, oh yeah, Russia is bad. And then you receive another uh, WhatsApp after that that says, oh, Ukraine is actually the bad one. It's like, oh, really? Uh? Oh, okay, Ukraine is really the bad one. And then another person says, no, Russia is the bad one. It's like, oh, really? Uh? You know, um, is that how the simple beliefs in everything, you know, that you don't really know. Actually, why do naive people believe everything? That's the next question. Why is it that naive people believe everything? Is it because they don't know? Um, they don't know enough about the facts. Therefore, they believe in everything. Or is it that because they don't have the relational... Is it a factual thing? That if, I, if I'm reading the facts and I understand the facts, I won't believe everything. If you told me the moon was made out of cheese i wouldn't be i wouldn't believe in it of course it's not made of cheese you know I've, I, I, it's made of rock right <laughs> but but if you don't know so is it factual that simple people believe in everything is it always factual have you met naive people who believe everything because they just trust people and they trust the wrong people sometimes it's not factual sometimes it's relational Right? Sometimes, sometimes naive people uh, uh, um, believe, over-believe and over-trust people because they don't have relational intelligence and they are not exposed enough. So that we still see people who get cheated left, right and centre all the time uh, um, uh, uh, you, you, someone comes up to you and says, oh yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a so-and-so, you know, and I've, I'm a dignitary from Nigeria and, and, I, and I need you to bank in, you know, this much money, but get, don't worry because I will immediately bank it in for you immediately back after blah, 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 blah. And like, guess what? And, and I will give you three times more, you know? And you're like, wow, it's great. And, and it's, it's, so, so why do naive people believe everything? Is it factual? So I start thinking of this. And guess what? Even on that first line of this proverb, I've already minded one layer deeper than what I would have if I just go, oh, Abu Din, of course, lah, and then I move on, right? And then, but the prudent give thought to his steps. Do the prudent really? Actually, what does it mean to give thought to his steps? Actually, to give thought to your step means you're thinking about your next steps. It's not just step, but next step. So, oh, prudent people... Wise people think about the next few steps. It means that actually prudent people know three steps ahead. What's happening? Do we? Do I? I don't know if I do. Maybe I'm not prudent enough. Maybe I do need to think two, three steps ahead. You know, uh, maybe I need to uh, uh, learn how to break down a process. Maybe wisdom means knowing how to break down your immediate process so that I can see what's coming up after this, right? Because if I can't break down the process, I don't know the step. And if I don't know the step, I'm just streaming and I don't know what's happening next, right? I, I, if the, if it blow, something blows up, I'm not prepared for it. Maybe that's what it means to be wise. Oh, wow. Wow. Naive, simple people will believe that anything can happen afterwards. Any great optimistic thing can happen immediately. But when prudent, wise people think through the next few steps, they see what comes ahead, they can actually plan for it. So that's what this proverb means. Oh my God, this is, this is so much richer than if I just looked at it and moved on. And today, I want to help you to see that we can work with the proverbs 
like this throughout the whole 31 chapters. Okay, but if you were to go through it that way, we would never end, right? This, this, this sermon would never end and this sermon series would never end as well because we could keep going on. So as you go through the book of Proverbs, you will see four major themes, right? Coming up really strong. And these four major themes refer to how we speak, how we earn, how we work, how we learn. It's, it, it, it deals with our words, it deals with our wealth, it deals with our work ethic, and it deals with areas of correction, how we speak and earn, how we work and learn. Now, to be sure, there are many other areas that the Proverbs speak about. So many other areas like family life, like government, like, like justice issues, you know. Uh, many of these things will actually be covered elsewhere on our pulpit. But I wanted to use this Proverbs series to deal with parts that don't typically show up elsewhere in our pulpit. And so uh, I allowed out of the maybe five or six things that show up a lot, and I found these four, and I'm bringing these four before you. And for the rest, go and mine it yourself. Okay, go and mine it yourself. Now, let's start with the first one. I'm going to take us through what the Proverbs say about how we speak. Our speech, our tongue, there are so many Proverbs that deal with the way we use our words. And maybe the best proverb to open up with is, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. By the way, we often neglect the second line. We always remember the first, and we quote it to one another, but we don't really remember the second. Let's look at this, right? Why does it say death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? You know, when God started everything, He didn't use His hands if he were to have hands, you know, in a God kind of way. He didn't use his heart as he, he hearted things out, you know. He spoke. When God creates, he spoke, right? When God created, he spoke. And when I thought about this proverb, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, it made me think about why is it that the tongue, out of all the things, I mean, we, you can still stab someone to death, you know, you can still, you, you, you can still use your hand, you, uh, use a weapon, you can still kick someone with your feet, you can drive a car into someone, but why is it that, that, that the proverb specifically names the tongue as an instrument of either death or life. And I believe this is linked to how God creates through divine speech. To the extent that Jesus himself is called the Word, the, 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 the manifest speech of God. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And because of that, every time we speak, I realize that, you know what? Every time we speak, we are creating or destroying. Wow! Did you realize that? Every time you speak, you are creating or destroying? You know, the Hindus have a god of creation and a god of destruction. They're two separate gods, right? There's the Vishnu and the Shiva, right? The, the creator and the destroyer. And I realized that God, our one God, both creates and destroys. He destroys things that have to be destroyed. He creates things that, that He longs to see in existence. And we, as, as, as children of God, 
We have the same power, but with our tongue, we create atmospheres of death or life. With our tongue, we create impressions of death or life. And so every day when we go out and we use words with one another, the Bible is teaching us actually what are you creating in someone or what are you destroying in someone. And that's why in church, we always say right, um, that we speak to build up. We don't speak to tear down, right? Of course, we speak to tear down things that have to be torn down, like lies, like 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 injustice, like dark spiritual darkness. We speak words of life to tear down darkness, but we don't speak to tear each other down. And what does it mean that those who love it will eat its fruit? Love, what's the it? Have you thought about that? What is the it? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love death will eat the fruit of death and those who love life will eat the fruit of life and you're going to say pastor abuden of course lah right but no it's not so straightforward because none of us go out professing that we love death nobody pro how many of you say oh i love death no but guess what if you're constantly speaking death over people, if you're constantly speaking death over situations, if you're constantly speaking to tear other people down, this proverb is indirectly saying, careful man, it sounds like you love tearing, it sounds like you love the tearing down. It sounds like you love death. And guess what? The more you keep speaking destruction upon yourself, upon others, upon situations, you will end up eating its fruit. It will bear fruit. The, the words you speak become like seed and it bears fruit over time and you will eat it. And to eat it does not mean like we think of eat it as like, wow, so nice. I get to make a voluntary decision to pick up the fruit of death and eat it. No. When it says eat it, you eat of its fruit, it means you pay for it. It will come upon you. It will creep up upon you and it will, you, it will visit you in, in, in horror, right? If your words are always speaking death. And that's really, wow. When I saw this, I thought, this, this prophet is not so straightforward, man. It's like speaking of really, really deep level things, right? Let's move on. Let's give another one, right? Um, a fool's lips lead to strife and his mouth provokes a beating, right? Um, by the way, uh, I know the Bible uses gendered language and sometimes we say that, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, how come women are always made to look bad in the Bible because of Eve and because of all these things? And if you read the Proverbs, you'll see that most of the fools are, 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 are men. Um, and of course, the wisdom I showed you last week was men and women. So this is not meant to be gendered. Uh, um, it's meant to be ungendered, okay? So a fool leads to strife and their mouth provokes a beating, right? And I, I, I spent some time thinking about this one. Because it's, it's quite something for you to talk smack and then can now whack by people, right? But that's really what he's trying to say. He's saying that you, you, if you're stupid people talk until people come and whack them up, right? And, and we don't see this anymore, right? Like, like we generally, we live in a society that's civil enough so that we don't actually hear someone mouthing off and we just pick up sticks and rods and start, you know, really giving the fella a good whacking. Or don't we? Because we may not pick up iron rods and whack someone who has been talking smack. But if you talk smack online, <laughs> the, the, the mob will come and find you 
right? Um, uh, a full slips really do sometimes uh, lead to much strife um, and his mouth or her mouth uh, provoke a huge beating. In other words, you can get really trashed, okay? Uh, because really, talk only, ma, talk only where, where can one? If I go and like really do something, I never hurt anybody or, you know, no, no, no. No, 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 you know. Um, there was a, there was someone, I forget her name. I, I googled her name this morning, uh, but I forget it again, right? Um, she was a, a comms, um, she was a comms senior manager of a big company, right? Um, uh, this was back in 2012 or something like that, uh, when Twitter was fresh and very new and lots of people were on it already, you know, and, and she was boarding a plane uh, uh, from the US to South Africa. And just before she got on the plane, you know lah, have to have to tayang everything you're doing one lah, right? Um, so just before she got on the plane, she tweeted saying, I'm going to South Africa. Hope I don't catch AIDS. Haha, <laughs> kidding. I'm white. And I can hear all of y'all recoiling like, oh my goodness, why would you say something, something so... <laughs> politically incorrect like that. Guess what? In those days, nobody really talked so much about politically correct or incorrect. It's things like this, you know, it's things like this that make people start talking about this is super politically incorrect. But, oh, I'm going to South Africa, you know, hope I don't catch AIDS. Oh, kidding, I'm white. And she got on that plane and you know the flight from US to South, I forget which city she flew off from, right? Um, to South Africa in many hours. She tweeted and got on the plane. There's no line. While she was flying on the plane, how many of y'all know this story? How many of y'all know this story? While she was flying on that plane, her Twitter ditulakan maximum, right? It caught maximum virality. And by and as she was flying, it started hashtagging with her name, has she landed yet, right? Has she landed yet? Everyone was tag hashtagging her name, has she landed yet, right? And the venom and the mass anger at her had gone completely bonkers. Her bosses were already trying to firefight um, this horrendous tweet of hers, right? Because she, she's a comms senior manager in her office, in her business, you know. So they can't delete the tweet because she's flying and it's in her account, right? And so it's a complete PR disaster for, let's just, I, how many of y'all know, Jack, how many hours does it take to fly from, let's say, LA uh, um, to 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 Jobert. Jack's, Jack's, the, Jack's the clever one. 10 hours? More? Yeah, thereabouts, right? Okay, Jackson said 15 to 20 hours, right? 15 to 20 hours of a PR disaster that you cannot manage, right? By the time she landed in South Africa, 2,000 retweets and so much hate, she had been fired by that. Okay, the moment she landed, she was fired. Okay, she, 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 right? 20 hours. Jack just said 20 hours, right? The moment she opened her, 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 her line came back in. Can you imagine your line come back in a foreign country? 2,000 retweets. And then, uh, by the way, somewhere in the midst of all her notifications, you have been fired, right? Uh, somewhere in the midst of that, uh, she cannot find any job anywhere. Uh, she, had to, she had to change city. And for at least a period of time, she went under a new name. 
because her name was being like retweeted by 2,000 people and everyone in the comms department knows of her. Articles were written uh, with her name, you know, as this is what uh, a PR nightmare looks like. And so she's in the PR scene, right? So she, so she, uh, career is essentially wrecked. And then we remember a fool's lips lead to strife and his or her mouth provokes a beating. What a utter beating it can be. And so we think sometimes that will the world actually be so cruel to us? You know, say one thing only, ma. No, man. No, man. That's why we cannot be naive, right? Because it can be, it can be really, really difficult um, uh, for you if you don't learn wisdom and you don't learn the right things to say. And so we have to guard our speech very carefully. Next one. Let's look at the next one. By the way, I, as you can tell, this, some, some of these, uh, some of these uh, uh, proverbs have very interesting stories that you can find out of them. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. Now, if you just stop there, you would think this proverb is speaking about any kind of lies. And of course, all lies, you know, um, can crush, right? Uh, but, but this one is, if you look at the next line, which informs the first, the first and the second inform each other, right? A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Oh, so the lying tongue at the start is not just a lying tongue, not just any lying tongue. It is the lying tongue that's parallel with flattery. So what this is saying is that when you flatter someone and tell them untruth about them, oh no, you look great in this dress. Oh no, the way you did this thing was fantastic. Oh, pastor, your sermon was so good. But how you were like, oh my gosh, this guy's terrible, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think about these things all the time, by the way. Um, well, every time you flatter someone, you know, um, you are crushing them and hating them and you're causing ruin to them. Now, if you read political memoirs, uh, if you read stories and, and, and bio, if you watch biopics of, 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 of very high-profile people who are very, very strong in personality, you'll realize one common element showing up. Or if you, even if you know people who have been in, um, in, in politics or senior management, you, know, um, you will notice one thing occurring a lot. Right, that there will be a little cluster of yes men and yes women surrounding them. Right, and if you know anything about Putin, you'll realize that I don't know why I mentioned him a few times today already. Now, if, if you see Putin like talking here and then like the so far away, and then all his all his like like generals are so far away, apparently, and it, this doesn't need to be apparent. It is apparent, right? All, all tyrannical leaders, all despots, all despotic co uh, uh, corporate leaders even, will end up being surrounded by a group of people who will say yes to anything. So nice to anything. Wow, the words of your mouth are like gold to anything, right? Like, wow, great policy, sure, Jadi, you know? And that's why, that's why in the 60s, and prior to that, Mao Zedong uh, uh, in China could come up with the great leap forward is with ridiculous economic policies and everybody was like, wow, the words of a king, you know? And, and utter ruin, right? One utter ruin after another utter ruin. And one by one, and, and they will, and you'll find that when, when people are surrounded by flatterers and people who are surrounded by yes and yes men and yes women, they end up living in a bubble. 
a bubble of, of, of voices that just keep on affirming them for what they believe in and what they are saying, you know, with no objectivity and flattery and lies. And you know what the, 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 this proverb is saying? All of you hate your leader, man. All of you hate your leader. It's like, no, it appears like they love their leader. No, your flattery is creating a bubble around them that is super unsafe because now their finger is no longer on the pulse. Their finger is in the skies. Their head is in the skies. And they have no clue what people actually think about them. My friends, if you are a senior leader, Make sure you don't surround yourself with yes men and women and flatterers, people who are just going to keep uncutting you. I tell you, it's not, it's not so easy. I do my best to surround myself with leaders who are going to be super plain and straight up before me, you know, and they are not going to go, wow, pastor, everything's so nice, so good, you know, like, you know, I don't like uh, being surrounded by, by, by voices like that. I hope you don't. I hope because the Bible tells us that's not wise, not a wise way to order your life. And so the tongue is powerful. The tongue has power to give life and death. The tongue has power uh, um, uh, to, to cause ruin to each other, right? Let's look at the next one. We, we learned about the importance of speech. Now we're going to look a bit about wealth. Wow, wealth. I, the, the, now there are lots of proverbs about wealth and we're going to look at only a handful of them, okay? Let's look at three, right? First one is this. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. If you stop there again, you know, as we do for a lot of prophets, we only memorize one line of the couplet, right? It sounds like, oh, okay, well, wealth of the rich is his fortified city, you know? Um, in his imagination, it is like a high wall. Oh, oh, so that's what it's trying to say. Right? It's trying to say that we lean on our wealth more than we realize they can hold us up. We imagine that they are stronger than they actually are. Now, this, now, if you look at the Proverbs, you will see quite a lot of Proverbs warning you against wealth. And then you will also see some Proverbs warning you against poverty. Now, hang on there. You're going to say, what? Actually, why so many contradictions? And I can tell you, if you go and Google like Bible contradictions, right? Quite a lot of the people who actually post this kind of stuff, they will pick one proverb, they will pick another proverb, they'll put them together and say, ha, you see, I tell you, English, or normal English, non-biblical non English also got, we looked at proverbs just now, right? All kinds of world proverbs. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. True or not? Right? Um, but the opposite of that is... Uh, uh, out of sight, out of mind. True or not? Which one is true? This, does absence make your heart grow fonder? Or is it when out of sight, it's out of mind? But we say both. And we intuitively understand that both have their way of being true. Right? right? That there is a way in which absence really does make you long for it. And there is a way in which when it's not in front of you, you actually tend to forget it. And both are true. So let's not be disingenuous with the Proverbs, okay? We, we handle these things all the time as well. Now, there are warnings against wealth. There are warnings against poverty. Both are necessary, right? The wealth of the rich 
is his fortified city, right? Because in his imagination, it will really protect. In his imagination, it is not just a wall, it is a very high wall, you know? And so what is this proverb trying to tell us about wealth? Wealth has the ability to disguise how powerful it is, how strong it is. It, that's not to say that wealth is not powerful. That's not to say that wealth cannot protect. Ask, ask someone who is, who is counting his ringgit one by one and his bank balance is less than two digits, right? And you, they will tell you, they will tell you that, whoa, if I had a little bit more security, um, that would be good. But guess what? The proverb is saying here, if that's your only security, I think you're going to overestimate its ability to, be, to, to keep you secure. And that's really what it is. This proverb is a proverb about overestimating the power of wealth to keep you secure. And let's move on, right? Um, let's move on. I love this. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. This is not about vegetarian diet. It is not about vegetarian. It's, it, it, a meal of vegetables is poor man's food. Fattened ox is rich man's food. And what they're really trying to say is, better to have simplicity and, uh, and humble living, but loving each other, than wow, you know, but actually you fight, right? Now, we could take this and go like, okay, lo, okay, move on, right? Uh, um, simple life, you know. It, does it mean that all simple life um, um, is, is better? Does it mean that uh, love will naturally follow all expressions of, hum of humble living? No? No, I don't think so. And we all, we all see in real life it doesn't. That's not what the proverb is meant to teach. That's why we say this is not a formula, right? So I have seen, I have seen people who have little and, be, and, and in their little, they fight and they squabble over over, over scraps, but they, but they fight, right? But I've also seen people with much who squabble and fight, and the reverse is also true. I've seen, I've seen people with little who are loving and wealthy people who are loving. So what is this proverb uh, trying to say? This proverb is really trying to say, look, if you really want to pursue after all this, and if you are rich, and if you get to eat your fattened ox, and if you get to have like the 28 course, I don't know why, 88 course uh, Chinese New Year reunion dinner, you know, like, you know, but if you're going to fight over it, don't, it's not worth it. And this is an orientation, this is a heart value orientation thing. Sungai Buloh Church, let's not fight in the cause of doing grand things. And if doing grand things is going to cause us to fight, it's not worth it. It's not, rather you be poor and don't fight about all these things. That's what the proverb is trying to say. And we need to internalize this because it's not saying you can't do grand things. It's saying that if you want to do grand things, make sure that there is love and that the grandness does not come at the expense of your relationships. So what is the ultimate value of this Proverbs? The love. The love is the most important thing. So you got this or you got this or whatever. Paul the Apostle said, I've lived with much, I've lived with little. I've lived in times of greatness, I've lived with times of terror, right? But guess what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's what this proverb is teaching. Let's look at the next one. A greedy one is in a hurry for wealth. He doesn't know that poverty will come to him. Okay, okay, don't be greedy. 
Don't be greedy. Just don't be greedy, right? Or is there more to it? Actually, what happens when we are greedy? Does it mean that, because the world tells us different things, right? Doesn't the world tell us to be ambitious? Is it good to be ambitious? Is it good to see opportunity and strike? Because the world tells us, strike while the iron is hot, right? There's another proverb of this world. Now, when you strike while the iron is hot, is it, is it hurry for wealth? Because these proverbs say, don't, don't be in a hurry for wealth. Or. Greedy fellows are in a hurry for wealth. Or. So how? I don't know. Should I? If there's an opportunity, should I? Should I not? Huh. To be sure, the Bible is not saying that when the opportunity shows up, don't take it. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying is, why do greedy people have poverty hanging around them? Greedy people have poverty hanging around them because their wealth and their accumulation of wealth is, is done by means that are more brittle and more fragile and greedy greed causes us to what what's the number one thing greed causes us to do other than accumulate it is it causes to our way of collecting money is that we start cutting corners right when we when we are greedy we want to maximize and squeeze every last bit we start cutting corners and guess what the world has a way of paying back and giving you a good beating if you start cutting corners because one day your project will collapse right one day you will be found out one day these things will happen you cut corners one day some whistleblower is going to find you out right and then instead of becoming extremely wealthy your extreme wealth suddenly becomes extreme poverty it could not just be poverty in terms of money you may be bankrupt but you've already got your money you know um, but it's, it's poverty of living it's a poverty of reputation it's a poverty of love and life and so the bible is urging us guess what there is something about the nature of greed that causes us to do things that we are that are that makes our accumulation fragile. I think that's what this is saying. Greedy methods are fragile. Yeah, I thought of it. I see this right now. I, I didn't even see this before. Greedy methods are fragile. Stay away from them. Gen slow, steady accumulation is like a strong oak tree. Right? Those things are not fragile. You build slowly, you know, generally speaking, you will stay strong. Now, that's about how a few things about how we handle wealth. And it's very important. It's very important because we live in a culture that pedestalizes being successful and wealthy, right? We need to know how to handle. Without wisdom, we can get into a lot of trouble. Now let's move on, right? How we speak, how we earn, how we work, and how we learn work, our work ethic. Now, Proverbs speak a lot about our work ethic, you know, and there are, there are two very helpful ones and one very funny one uh, that I'm going to show you. I'll start with the two helpful ones, okay? Let's look at it, right? Um, the slacker, or in some of your translations, it will say the sluggard, right? The slacker does not plough during planting season. At harvest time, he looks and there is nothing. And this was the first proverb I saw in preparation for this sermon. I just, because I was just flipping through and I just landed on this. And I thought, this is the classic example of a proverb that I look at it and I move on. Okay, of course, if you don't do work, you don't get anything, right? Move on. 
And then I started to, then I was, I, I was actually reading it in two translations because I, I, I happened to browse my other uh, uh, Bible, my digital and my physical, and I realized that a slacker does not plow during, and then one says during um, autumn. And then I realized that the Hebrew word for autumn is autumn slash winter. And then I was like, the slacker does not plow during autumn, winter. The slacker does not plow during planting season. Then, honestly, I didn't even realize what plow means. That, that's, how, that's how I just glanced over it, right? I was like, what's plow? Plow is like, just do something, right? <laughs> and then planting is like, just, it's just do something. And I realized, no, no. Oh my gosh, let's slow down. When you harvest your crop, just before winter, right? You harvest all your crop, right? And then winter comes. You let the land to lie fallow, right? It just doesn't do anything. And then as the time comes, you actually, before that and after that, you actually have to till the ground. You have to actually goncangkan all the, all, all the ground before you put your seeds in. Before you put your seeds in, you actually have to, 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 to plow. And the reason why you plow is so that when you scatter the seed, that the seed goes deep. It, it, it doesn't just stay on the surface, right? And then birds can eat it or wind can blow it away, but it actually goes in. That's why you plow. Now, a slacker does not plow during planting season means that he, this slacker still casts the seeds. He still casts the seeds. It's not that this guy doesn't do anything. He doesn't prepare the environment for the maximum output of his work. He doesn't plow. He just scatters the seed. And at harvest time, there's nothing. He's like, oh, how come don't have? I put seed, ma. Right? It's like, no, it's because you didn't nurture the ground. And then I realized, oh, this is not about whether you do work or not. This is about whether you are methodical and careful and diligent with your work or not. This is about whether you are going that little bit of extra mile to make sure your work really takes hold or not. Because you can throw all the seeds you want. If you don't plow the land, the seed doesn't go in. You won't get harvest. And so, where does this show up? How many of you, you say things to each other and then that person didn't hear you you give instructions at work, you write an email to someone and then you assume that they are here and then uh, one day you get angry. Oh, how come nobody did this? Huh? You know? um, or maybe you said things while someone was rushing out from work. Right? Uh, your, 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 your worker is like on the way out already and they're like, hey, uh, um, on, on next Tuesday, 17th or, or, or whatever, uh, make sure that you do this, 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 this and this, this, this. Huh? Oh, okay. And you go like, yeah, I told already. I expect them to know. And then on that 17th, whatever, nothing happens. You go like, wah, wah, la, da, da, da. you know what? You know what? This proverb close to calls you, you're the slacker. Like, what do you mean I'm the slacker? You're the slacker, not them. Why? How can they're the slacker? They didn't do their job. No. You know why you are the slacker? Because you didn't, you just throw seeds. You just throw seeds wherever you like and you expect that all the seeds go into the ground and then one day on 17th, you will come and then everything will be done. You didn't plow. So what does plowing mean? Plowing means that you checked in on them. Hey, did this? Uh, did you actually? Uh, uh, did, did you got that memo right? Now, I know you were in a rush. I, I was also in a rush. You know? Did you hear what I said? You know? Or plowing means that you actually on the Monday you sit back down with them and say, Hey, last week I was telling you this. You know? Just checking in on you. Uh, has this been started? You know? Or catching them 
earlier at a good time when they can actually hear you because they are not hearing you they are hearing the jam that's why they are leaving so fast that's what this proverb means let's look at another one right your work ethic is your work ethic right how diligent you are now the diligent hand will rule but laziness leads to forced labor and i don't want to spend too much time on this but what really this is saying is that hard work pays off okay yeah hard work pays off but you know what no because we live in a land where people who rule some of them are diligent and some of them are really the opposite right the lazy hand will rule and then the diligent are always at forced labor don't you find this to be true the reverse sometimes to be true in some communities so how how do you cope with a proverb like this i see lazy hands ruling all the time but i also see diligent hands ruling all the time right you go corporate there are some lazy hands who are ruling there are some diligent hands ruling you go to government you see some lazy hands ruling some diligent hands ruling so what does this mean actually what this is trying to tell you is this you you want to rule you want to have control you want to have influence don't be lazy don't be lazy be diligent because there, there may be a path to rule through laziness but that's not the path you want that's not the path you want right because what greedy methods are fragile let's move on the next one is my favorite <laughs> the slacker says there's a lion outside i'll be killed in the public square you know what this means right i can't go to work there's a lion outside how do i know the sky will fall down on me how do i know if i go out and work hey slacker banyak alasan right uh, lots of it, the, and, and i think the, the the fellow who came out with this proverb has a lot of sense of humor because he's saying like it's so absurd uh, for, for you to say that i can't work there's a lion outside right um i'll be killed and so one of my favorite uh, modern day axioms or proverbs is from craig groeschel uh, um, he's a pastor of life church um, in the us and craig groeschel always says this now maybe it was attributed some, by someone else or already i'm not sure but i learned it from him he says that you can make a difference or you can make an excuse but you can't make both and i love that and that's a modern day proverb for you you can make an excuse or you can make a difference but you can't make both how many of you you want to make a difference you know what this means let's move on to the last one we learn speak we learn how to earn and manage our wealth we learn how to work and then the last one is we learn how to learn we learn how to take correction right and and the proverb that i'm going to show you says this right this is the most probably the most famous one the first one i'm going to show you is this right uh let's look at let's look at the slide don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you rebuke the wise and he will love you how many of you you love rebukes i don't really love rebuke um and every sunday when i at some point in the sunday i'll ask a failure hey today's sermon how huh? <laughs> and and i know she loves me because she will be straight with me and when sometimes i preach good she will say you know what today was really good and some days when when uh there were little niggling parts that that showed that even my preparation was not so good she'll be straight with me right that's the previous one um she'll be straight with me and i appreciate that now on the moment i may not appreciate it because you know ego cannot like hantam a little bit sometimes right happens to all of us right it's not just for me and my vocation it happens to all of us right but guess what this proverb is really trying to tell us that really wise people will love 
correction. Wise people will love feedback. Now, it's one thing that we have in SIBKL that one of the things that I've always loved, right, is that we have a strong feedback culture. Okay. Um, I will always remember that one of my colleagues was in preaching class uh, in some seminary and the preaching class involved them bringing their, 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 their pastor um, to, to, to evaluate them. And this colleague of mine brought Pastor Lee Chu and then and everybody brought their own pastors. And my colleague uh, preached and then Pastor Lee Chu was like, you know, uh, the first point, uh, it needs to be more than nah, nah, nah. The second point needs to be da, 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 da. that third point. Uh, actually, this part didn't work. This thing worked. This part didn't work. This part worked, you know. And then when the whole class finished, my colleagues, classmates all went up to them and said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you, your boss point to you are you okay because all all, all their respective bosses came and like hey. <laughs> maybe they just i don't know lah. Maybe, I'm, I'm sure in behind closed doors they do right i'm not i don't know i wouldn't know but i just know that uh pastor Lichu will just like no no no, no this part don't work lah. i don't think this example work with this you know no, 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 no. and my clear was like okay uh, normal ma. Why? This is nothing, what? <laughs> and I learned that, oh my gosh, in SIBKL, we have, this is normal. And, I, and in a way, I thank God it's normal, right? Because if, if, if Pastor Lee Chu isn't going to like give us really honest feedback on our preaching, who will? You think you guys will? Y'all won't, right? And I appreciate it. And today, that colleague of mine, you know, who maybe was preacher level one, is now preacher level four or five, you know, and that thanks to the honest feedback, rebuke the wise and they will love you. And in the same way, if you love the people who are, who, who are giving you correction, thank them and honour them for it, right? Because guess what? It's not easy for someone to come to you and give you feedback. Let's have a feedback culture in this church to build up, not to tear down, to build up, right? Let's move on. The next one and we're going to close very soon. Don't withhold discipline from a youth. I found this very funny. If you punish him with a rod, he won't die. <laughs> I, I thought it was so funny. We're, we're all familiar, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Uh, um, that's, that's the famous proverb, right? And this is a, a, another rendition of it. But what it's really trying to say is don't, it's not teaching you beat your son with an iron rod until he just doesn't die, right? until the point of just before. That's not what it's teaching you, right? Um, now, corporal punishment is another day's story. Okay, but I will share as a parent that through certain seasons of raising our children, we had rotan, right? We had rotan, um, um, but I've also experienced punishing out of anger. With or without the rotan, I've punished out of anger. And that's taught me that actually disciplining um, is not just something that, I, that, that is a mechanical thing. It's very human and our hearts are, are and, and mingled in it. So to not withhold discipline from a youth, yes, right? If you punish with a rod, he won't die. Yeah, most of the time they won't die unless you're like crazy, right? Um, and if you put boundaries around a young person, you are rescuing their lives from hell. And that's really what it's trying to say. Being raised up requires boundaries. That's what it's trying to say. And we need to feel the pain the safe pain of breaching those boundaries so that we bounce back into the safe space of being properly socialized. And if you don't have those boundaries, you become unsocialized. And that's what it's trying to say. It's very pertinent for this day. Whether you are into gentle parenting or not, this has much to say, right? And the final one, and we'll close. Tans fail where there is no counsel. 
but with many advisors, they succeed. That's not asking you to find counsel from any old hoot, but it's really trying to say, let's not live in such a silo way where you make your work decisions by yourself in front of LinkedIn in the private, where you make your life decisions um, in front of your, your, your coffee and bagel um, in your privacy, where you make your well, family decisions in front of your WhatsApp in your own privacy alone. And then guess what? Nobody speaks into your life. It's not like Pastor Fergus is desperate to speak into your life. But the Bible tells us that with many advisors, in other words, with a collection of wisdom of people who are wise, you will succeed. But when you're all alone, you're all alone. Now, one man who ended up all alone was Solomon. One man who ended up surrounding himself for all intents and purposes with yes men going like, yeah, excellent, words of a king, literally, the most wise man in the world. Or Solomon, who ended up not heeding all of his own wisdom. And in so doing, he accumulated not just wisdom, but accumulated wealth and could not control it, accumulated marriages and spouses and concubines and could not control it, accumulated gods and could not control it, accumulated all kinds of property and could not control it, and he gave himself over into every pleasure that he could get his hands on, and it wrecked him. And so, my friends, it's important for us to be wise. But we remember that you can know wisdom as a head knowledge and not practice it. You can dispense of all the gems and still wreck your life. And who picks the pieces up? It's Jesus who picks the pieces up. We keep making a wreck of our lives, no matter how learned we are, how wise our words can be. Who keeps having to bail us out of that beating? Jesus keeps bailing us out. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, thank God we have a hope, a path to wise living. Because the wisest man ended up, before Jesus, ended up making all the mistakes chance do we have? What hope do we have? Much hope. Why? Because sungguh besar pengobananmu bagiku. Sungguh indah yang kau fikirkan tentangku. Because of Jesus, we have a path to ordering our lives in wisdom and in goodness. And so, my friends, turn to Him. Father, truly Lord God, as we seek after you, as we pursue wisdom, as we pursue the right way to live, we want to remember, Ke manakah aku dapat pergi? Where can I go to run away from your presence? Menjauhi rohmu yang suci. How can I go to run away from your presence? Engkau sahabat, kau yang dekat, you are my close friend. I pray the wisdom of the living God will be close to you like a close friend, like a companion who will follow you all the days of your life. And His wisdom, Jesus Himself, the embodiment of wisdom, the manifestation of wisdom, will walk with you all the days of your life, guiding you forward, guarding you from falling over. 
So now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Keep you from falling. Keep you from straying. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you grace. Grace to not fall. Grace to walk forward. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people, shout aloud, Amen! Come on church, let's shout aloud, Amen! Come on church, let's praise Him today! Amen!